Hi, this is Felix Chimeranyika, lead pastor of Kairos Christian Center in Lelonga, Malawi. I am happy that you have joined us for the Kairos Lelonga podcast, and I believe God is going to inspire you and break you through into your kingdom destiny as you hear the word unpacked. This is your Kairos moment, God's appointed season for your kingdom breakthrough. Hear the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, The words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness. The beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All men are like grass and their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God lives on forever. Holy Spirit, we ask you may speak to us. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The disgusting church. The disgusting church. Imagine you have somebody you love. Hallelujah. The Bible talks about love, you know. There's a whole book on love. Song of songs. But imagine you have somebody that you love. And then they don't call you. They go four days without calling you. And when you do call them, they are not really moved by you. You hear the response, it's, ah, there isn't that thing. You know that thing, you know, that this person we're connecting, right? And when you call again, they say, okay, what is it now? I mean, there's no excitement for you, nothing that makes you feel like, okay, we're on the, on the same page here. I'm sure after a while, you come out of that relationship. After a while, you, you come at a point where you say, this is not working. Probably if you're not married, you're going to be saying, look, uh, uh, this courtship isn't going anywhere. Why? Because... There's that thing that you don't sense that this person has any passion for you. And do you know that the church of Jesus Christ is the bride of Jesus Christ? And that Jesus expects us that we would be excited, would be zealous for him. That when he wants to connect with us, we are the ones that will actually initiate that connection, would show our love in our devotion and our witness for him. This church was a disgusting church because it did not have zeal for the Lord. It didn't have zeal in its witness and so it did not please Jesus. See, this passage reminds us that 
A zealous witness. A zealous witness pleases our Lord. A zealous witness pleases our Lord. And there are three things that come here that uh, we should understand about a zealous witness. First of all, I believe that we should see that we should understand that a zealous witness understands the prophetic revelation of Christ. The prophetic revelation of Christ or the prophetic revelation of Jesus. So here, verse number 14, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, Right. Remember, again, John is writing from the island of Patmos. He's been exiled there for the gospel. And uh, he's writing these letters to seven churches, which lie on a postal route that would start from Ephesus and really end up at Laodicea. Right. And so he's writing this. And in this revelation of, of Jesus Christ is an angel who's telling him to write these things. Right. And it's coming through Jesus, of course. And so he says now, this Jesus says that, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The angel is a literal angel. There's an angel over the churches in Laodicea. Now, you and I need not think that in those days that they had church buildings. No, they did not have church buildings. They were probably meeting in homes. And so in Laodicea, there may have been very many congregations. And so when, 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 when Jesus is writing here to Laodicea, he's really writing to all those churches in that area, right? And so he says, over that city is an angel that is guarding the churches. And just like in the Old Testament where you find Michael is archangel who watches over the children of Israel as we're told in Daniel. Right? And so we need not think that this may just be a leader in a church or the pastor in the church or maybe the bishop of, uh, of the churches in Laodicea. No, this could actually be, in fact, this is a real angel. And so to the angel of the church of Laodicea, here's what you should write. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now, notice here that Laodicea was a city that was named after Laodis, who was the wife of King Antiochus II. In this city, actually, there was a lot of pagan worship, just like in any, in any city that, in fact, just like in any city. In any city, there's pagan worship, isn't it? Right? And so here, there's, there was the worship to Zeus and also worship to man, a god called man. Right? And it is in here, in this city, that Christians are set. In fact, Laodicea was quite a city of some renown. It lay on um, the riverbank of the Lycus River, and it was a crossroads uh, of sorts so that there was trade there. Right? It was known as a banking center. Right? And so to this church, Jesus writes, and he reveals himself. He says, the words of the Amen. Amen. The words of the Amen. Amen means what? Amen means it is established. In Isaiah chapter number 65, I think verse number 16, it speaks of God as the God of truth. As the God who establishes things. Right? And so to a church probably that is wishy-washy, that is compromising in its stance, that you can never really tell, are these Christians or not Christians? You, you know, there's some people like that. Right? You kind of like have to say, you know, I don't really know. I can't tell if he's born again or not. Because sometimes he says things that, you know, are godly coming out of the Bible and seems like he, he, he knows his Bible. But then the stuff that he does and the things that he says, sometimes it's just so confusing. I don't know where he's really standing. No, no, no. Jesus is there. Amen. You know where he stands. You know where he stands. So he says, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Remember Jesus Christ himself, he came down here to show the Father, isn't it? When somebody came to him and said, 
please show us the Father. He says, listen, I and the Father are one. So Jesus is a witness, uh, a witness for God. He has revealed God. In fact, John in his gospel, he says that no one has seen God. But the one who has come from the Father, he is the one who has revealed him. Right? And so Jesus is the faithful and the true witness. So faithful and so true was his witness that he died on a cross for his witness. That's faithfulness, isn't it? When you can give your own life for the witness. And so Jesus here is saying, listen, I want you to understand me. I want you to understand what I have done and who I am and what I'm about. I am the amen. I am the faithful and the true witness. And he says, the beginning of God's creation. Now others would say, listen, if Jesus is saying he's the beginning of God's creation, that means Jesus has a beginning. It means that Jesus was actually created at one point in time. You know, there are some other people that actually teach that. Some churches that refuse that Jesus is God, but say that Jesus is actually, you know, an angel that was elevated to the status of being like God. That's the teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses. You, you hear that. But the word that is used there is the word ache, ache. Somebody say ache, ache, right in the Greek, ache, right? It can mean the fountain. It can mean the source. And so he's saying he is the source of God's creation. And in fact, when you go to John chapter number one, where again, the same apostle John who wrote Revelation is writing, he says that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word is God. And he goes on to say that there was nothing that was created that was not created by the word. Who's the word? He says the word is Jesus Christ. And so here Jesus is saying, listen, I am the source of God's creation. I am the source of God's creation. Friend, listen, unless you get a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, you are going to be wishy-washy. You are going to compromise in your stance. People won't even know that you're a Christian or not. You're going to be like some undercover brother, undercover sister. There are no undercovers, friend. We're all called to be witnesses. And witnesses fashioned after Jesus. Faithful and true. Hallelujah. Can I get a witness in this place? Amen. See, when you compromise, and you know when you compromise. You know when you're you're not living the Christian life like you ought to. You know it. Here's what you should do. May you go back to the revelation of Jesus as the amen. May you go back to the cross of Jesus and see the faithful witness that he is. May you go back and realize that there is nobody that has declared God, has shown who God is like Jesus Christ. Out of Hebrews he says he's the, he, he's the exact image of God. Hallelujah. Do you want to know God? Know Jesus. See, when you fail on this very first one, you fail on everything else. And so when Jesus comes to this church and writes to this church, he wants them to put things right. Understand me for who I am. I am the amen. I'm the one that establishes things. I'm the one that when I speak it is established. I'm the faithful and the true witness. I'm the beginning of the creation of God. Tell anybody, it starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. And tell them, you should start with Jesus. You should start with Jesus. 
a zealous witness understands not only the prophetic revelation of Christ, but it understands the problematic deception of the world. It understands the problematic deception of the world. It understands, in other words, that if it gets too invested in the world, it will get into deception and it will not be the witness that God has called it to be. So listen to what Jesus is saying now in the body of the letter, verse number 15. He says, I know your works. And Jesus always says this to all these churches, isn't it? I know your works. What works is he talking about? The job that they have? Or the jobs that they have? The businesses that they're running? What is it that he knows about their works? No, their works as far as God is concerned are the works that we do for the kingdom of God. In other words, the witnessing that we do. Now, witnessing is not just only sharing the gospel with somebody and telling them about Jesus. Witnessing is actually your life, isn't it? Your life. People can watch you and the decisions that you make and basically come at a point or a conclusion to say, you know what, you are a faithful witness. You have not shrunk back from declaring the gospel and so you are a faithful witness. Why? Because they are seeing your works. Listen, the works that Jesus sees in your life is not your job, not just your job. See, we're confusing things. We're, we're starting to think that the more that we get prosperous, the more that things work for us, and that it means that those are the important things. No, 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 no. The important things are the works that you're doing for the kingdom, which extend to the way that you live your whole life. It says, I know your works. It says, you are neither cold nor hot. Well, that you are either cold or hot. I mean, there's an exclamation mark there. It means Jesus is getting emotional here. Hallelujah. I have some friends that say, oh, you know, you, you, you Pentecostals and Charismatics, you're, you're, you're just emotional. <laughs> Jesus is emotional here, man. I, I, I want to be like Jesus. I don't know about you. He's emotional. And he's like, he's shouting. There's an exclamation mark there, right? He's shouting. Watch again what he says. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you're either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Ooh. What's he talking about? Now, a lot of people have usually said that you should, be, you should not be a lukewarm Christian. You should be the heart on fire for God. Or you should be cold and not, and not be for God at all. Ever heard anybody preach that? Maybe some of us have preached that. Mm, getting it wrong. Why? Remember again, when Jesus is writing to these churches, he's writing to them many times according to the things that they would connect with in their own experience in their own city. The thing about Laodicea, even though it was a banking center, even though it, it was an important place, was that it did not have its own water source, especially in the summer, because the river that they, they were on would dry up in the summer. And so they they had to uh, get water from the Phrygian Springs, which was some eight miles or so. And they would, they, they would have all, all, these, um, all these things that they would, um, aqueducts that they, would, they had built and would come all the way down to Laodicea. And the water that was coming from the Phrygian Springs, it was, they were hot springs. So it was hot. Right? But by the time that it had come to Laodicea, it had become lukewarm, had collected some sentiment, and when you tested it, ah. And on the opposite end was Colossi. Colossi had some sources of cold water. 
And Jesus here is saying, look, I wish you were cold, refreshing cold, like on a hot day, like the water that is found at Colossae. I wish you were refreshing like that. And I wish that your heart, you were, you were like the water, the hot spring water, that if you're not feeling well, you know, like when you have a, a fever, got malaria, you have a fever and you take a hot bath, it feels better, isn't it? Right? I wish that you were like that. I wish that you were either cold or you were either hot. And he says, because you are lukewarm. And they understood this. They understood this because they hated the water. They understood this. And because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you. And they totally understood this because they hated that water. Hmm. What does it mean that Jesus is going to vomit these people? I thought these people are Christians. I thought once saved, always saved. I mean, can he come at a point that he, he, he vomits me? Uh, if we're going to go by this text, and this is a warning text, it's telling us that if a person, in fact, if a Christian does not persevere, that person is probably not saved. If you do not persevere in your witness, chances are you are not saved. And so he says, those ones that their works are disgusting to me, those ones that I want to vomit, should watch out. And watch the advice of Jesus. Or watch their state, the things that they're saying. Verse number 17 says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Now, Laodicea, like I said, was a banking center. In fact, Laodicea was so rich that in AD 60, when there was an earthquake that, met, that basically destroyed their city, they refused to get aid from Rome. You know, places like, like Colossae also had you know, um, earthquakes and they received money from the imperial government. But Laodicea, they said, no, 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 no. We'll build it ourselves. We have enough money. Don't worry about us. Can you see the confidence that they had? And so here's what this church is saying. It says, listen, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Notice here, it's I, 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 isn't it? Meaning to say, it's individuals in the church too that are saying that. That you know I'm okay. I have prospered. I'm better than so and so. I have a job now. My business is running well. Deception. See, Jesus spoke of the deceitfulness of riches. The problem with most of us is that our possessions possess us. Hallelujah. The problem with most of us is that our possessions possess us. That we don't possess our possessions. And so we've come at a point that we see ourselves according to the money that we have or the money that we do not have. And so when we have no money, we feel like we're nothing. When we have money, we feel like we're on top of the world. Hallelujah. Or when you dress a particular way, you feel like, okay, this is fitting for me to dress. 
But if you're in a situation where you can't afford to dress like that, you feel like I am a nothing. He says, for you say I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched. You are pitiable. You are poor. You are blind and naked. That's deception, isn't it? When you're thinking that you're dressed and everything is going on okay. I'm sure you heard that story about the emperor's clothes. <laughs> that there were these merchants that came to an emperor and said, Emperor, oh, we have the most expensive, the most versatile robe clothing that is meant for emperors. I'm, I'm paraphrasing you. And he says, okay, show me, show me what it is. And they say, no, this is only clothing, garments that can be seen by those that are really intellect, intellectual. It's so beautiful you can't see it. Only those people, only those people that have high standards and are, uh, and are intelligent are the ones that can see it. So he says, yeah, yeah. Do you see it? Of course, the emperor. This is the emperor. He must be wise, isn't it? So he says, oh yes, I say. So he says, okay, great. They took measurements. Another day they came. And they said, emperor, your robes are ready. The emperor took off his clothes. Put on these robes. That were for wise people. And he marched. Because everybody had now been told that the emperor has gotten these garments. That only the wise can see. So everybody wants to be wise. And so they said, oh yeah, we see, we see. And so there was the emperor marching down the streets. And everybody jubilating and celebrating. And one little kid says, mom, the emperor is naked. And everybody says, oh yeah, he's naked. They were under this illusion. That he was dressed. They made themselves believe that he was dressed when he was naked. Do you know we do that spiritually too? We make ourselves believe that because we have all these things. When th because things are working out for us. Then it means that things are okay between us and God. And we give ourselves a false sense of assurance that I'm a Christian. That when Jesus Christ comes back, I am going to go to heaven. Jesus says, you're wretched. You're poor. He says, you're pitiable to be pitied on. You're blind and naked. So here's Jesus' advice, counsel, verse number 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Remember again, it was a banking city. Right? Banking city, gold. Bling, bling. Right? So they had an abundance of that. That's what they used to rebuild their city. And so Jesus says, no, 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 no. Here's what I'm counseling you. Buy from me real gold. Buy from me real gold. Gold that is purified in the fire. Not fake gold. Not the fake gold of this world. Not the fake wealth of this world. Do you know riches in this earth 
never last. Currencies, you know currencies are not stable. We look at the Malawi Kwacha, it's going to be falling soon. And sometimes we think it's just, it's only the Malawi Kwacha. Even the US dollar falls. The British pound suffered the effects of Brexit, right? There's nothing stable here. Jesus told his disciples, listen, store your wealth in a place where rust cannot eat and moth cannot eat. Don't store your wealth down here. In other words, when you put your trust in the things that you have, when you put your identity in the things that you have, you are just totally missing it. And you know, that's our basic problem. We put our identity in the things that we have. We put our identity in the things that we have. So we identify people by the things they have, isn't it? Have you noticed that schoolmates, those of you that are older, that you haven't met in a while, when you do meet, they ask you, so where do you stay? No, they just don't want to visit you. It's not about that. They're trying to size you up. They're trying to put you on a scale. And some have been known because they, their identity is wrapped up in the things that they want to accumulate in the earth. They've been known to say they live in areas they don't live in. He says, no, 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 you, you have a problem because you are putting your identity in the things of this world. He says, here's what my counsel is. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Now, again, at Laodicea, there was another industry. There was a garment industry. In fact, there was this deep black hole that was really, really expensive and beautiful. They called it Trimitia. It was black, dark. And Laodicea pride itself for this black hole. Jesus says, uh-uh, buy from me real white garments. Buy from me the purity that comes from me. Hallelujah. Listen, listen. It's not about how you look. Before men or women. It's how you look before God. Are you clothed in righteousness? Or are you naked before God? Your pursuing of the things of this world has left you naked before God. See, the thing that God is looking for from you and from me. Yes, it's our faithful witness. But also that faithful witness is a character issue, isn't it? He's expecting us to be holy just as he is holy. White garments here speaks of purity. And he's expecting us to live our lives that are separated to him and his purposes. When you get your life, when you get your life, do you get it according to you're growing in holiness before God. How do you get your life? How do you get progress in your life? I mean, when that's somebody, when you, when you say to somebody, oh, Zukienda, it's working. Things are working. What is the basis of that? Is it that you have more money now? 
Is it that you have entered, you've gone into uh, that program, that educational program you wanted to get into? Is it because you've gotten that scholarship? Oh yeah, you know, things are working out fine for me. Uh, Jesus, when he's looking at you and gauging you and me, he's looking at uh, your character, your separation to God. Buy from me white garments. You know, we, we talk a lot nowadays, especially in the political sphere, we talk about we need Christians to get into places of, uh, of authority, of influence in, in our nation and in the world. But here's what we forget. It really is not about having a so-called Christian as the president of Malawi. It really is about the character of that so-called Christian. It's about the character of that so-called Christian that really makes him to be a Christian. No, it's not about the gifting. It's not about uh, the gift of the Spirit. It's actually the fruit of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Don't worry, it's not a bomb, it's not Al-Qaeda, it's not ISIS, nothing like that. We're protected today in Jesus' name. But watch. Hallelujah. Amen. The preacher is, is at the front. Amen. But watch this. Jesus says, again, verse number uh, 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may, be, you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Here's something else that happened that was going on at Laodicea. Laodicea had a temple, a temple to a god, men. And that temple there had what was known as uh, the Phrygian powder. It was known actually for that Laodicea was also known for being a medical center. And from that temple, in fact, the temple of Menkaru, there was this Phrygian powder, which people from all sorts of places went to so that they could be healed of their eye ailments, eye diseases. So again, they prided themselves in that. And Jesus says, listen, uh, uh, come to me so that I can put eye salve on you. Because see, you are deceived. You're not seeing things the way that they are meant to be. You're thinking that it's the things of this world that really matter. You are deceived. That's why you are pursuing the things of this world instead of pursuing the things of my kingdom. See, that's where a lot of us have come to, my friend. Look, you, you may not be going back out there to get drunk and sleep with prostitutes and do all those crazy things. You may not be doing that. But it does not mean that you are pursuing the kingdom. See, we have bought into this lie that says, oh, stop drinking. I mean, what are the biggest sins we speak of? Oh, you shouldn't sleep around. You shouldn't get drunk. In fact, not just you shouldn't sleep around. Here's the worst one. You should not be homosexual. That's the worst of sin. Listen, that sin is going to make the whole of Malawi to be burned up like Sodom and Gomorrah. So we have picked and chosen which ones are the big sins. Listen, here's what God is expecting. He's expecting that you would pursue him and his kingdom. 
He's expecting that you'd be part of his church that's radically witnessing to him and showing the world that Jesus loves you and taking the gospel to the ends of the world. That's what he's looking at. It's not about money, about how much money you have and how much money you do not have. See, friend, you and I need to make a big shift, a paradigm shift. Where we're not looking at things the way we see them. Where we're looking at things the way God sees them. Where we come at a point that God or the Holy Spirit has given us this spirit of revelation. Where we can see beyond that which we see. Where we can move by faith and not by sight. Where we're not carnally minded. In other words, where we're not making decisions according to the flesh. But we're making decisions according to his revelation. Listen, God has set you in the earth. If you're truly born again, God has set you in the earth to be a witness. If you're truly born again, God has set you in the earth to be a witness. You may be out there in the front line, part of the fivefold ministry, and, and sharing the gospel and doing all sorts of things to lots and lots of people. But you may also be that person that is supporting the fivefold ministry. And so that together as the body of Christ, we can do what God has called us to do. Hallelujah. Here's the bottom line. Friend, if you're not involved in ministry, you stink to Jesus. Let me say it again. If you are not involved in ministry, you stink to Jesus. If you are not involved in witnessing, you stink to Jesus. Ask your neighbor, are you stinking to Jesus? A zealous witness pleases our Lord. A zealous witness understands the prophetic revelation of Christ. Number two, a zealous witness understands the problematic deception in the world. And then thirdly, a zealous witness understands the productive witness of the saints. A zealous witness understands the productive witness of the saints. Look at verse number 19. It says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Those whom I love. <laughs> I reproof. Hallelujah. See, here's the truth of the matter. We live in an unfathered generation. We live in an unfathered generation so that when somebody reproves you, you think they hate you. When somebody disciplines you, you think they hate you. When somebody says, listen, that's not being done right, you think they hate you. Please, may you grow up and understand that if, you're, if you have a father, the father will make sure that you behave right. And that there are things inside you that don't want to behave right. And so when you are not behaving right, the father will come and reprove you and discipline you. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter number 12. The author of Hebrews is telling his audience, he's saying, listen, but you're not a legitimate children. And because you're not a legitimate children, God must discipline you. When you're doing your stink and your mess, God will discipline you. And the discipline of God is a show that God loves you. Hallelujah. 
You see, some of us, some of us right now, things are not working. And things are not working, not because, you know, the devil has put a stop to us. That the devil does, and he can. Remember, Jesus told Simon, Simon, the devil wants to sift you. (laughs) So he can sift you. But there are times that it is God. He's working something inside you so that you become the child, the son, the daughter that he has called you to become. And so you go through hard times because guess what? You can never learn some things. Some of us never learn some things except the hard way. Hallelujah. I mean, those of you that have kids, you know. Your child can be strong-headed. No, don't touch that. I mean, they're still touching it. I said, don't touch it. And then he's still touching it. That's when the hand comes out and the anointing to the cheek comes. And that child learns, oh, mommy is serious, daddy is serious. But you know, if you're looking and maybe you don't have children, you probably think, "Mm, that's really cruel. And I've wondered at times because, you see, my son is very good friends with Tendai. I mean, with, uh, with Dabble. And so he'll run to Dabble, jump, da 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 And then he's doing something he shouldn't be doing. I said, Tendai, don't do that. And he acts like he's not hearing me. I said, don't do that. And then he'll remember, okay, third time means the hand anointing is coming. So I need to move back from whatever it is that I'm doing because anytime soon I linger longer, it's going to come. And sometimes I wonder, maybe double things, I'm just this cruel guy. Uh, yeah, I seem cruel. And you know, the father can seem cruel when he's disciplining us. It doesn't feel good. But I tell you, we'll be the better for it when it happens. Because it's discipline. It's meant to instill discipline in you. So the one that I love, I reprove, I rebuke. You know, you know but I didn't like when I went to church today and pastor was just talking about me. That's the idea. The ones whom he loves, he reproves. The fact that I'm talking about you, if you feel I'm talking about you, is proof that God loves you. And God wants you to reform. God wants you to get right with him again. Be his child again. And he's doing it not because he hates you. Actually, it's because he loves you. Here's what the one that hates you wants you to do. He wants you to go and have fun and get worse and worse and worse and worse. And he kills you. That you don't even move into your destiny. God wants you to move into your destiny. So God will discipline you. He'll reprove you. He'll bring people into your life. You think they're harsh, but they're there to wake you up. You know, some of you need slapping and waking up, you know? Because you still haven't caught it that God has a purpose, has a destiny for you. And it's not going to happen with you sitting down on your blessed assurance. Listen, we need to wake up to the fact that God who loves us has given us a task in the earth. And that he expects us that we would have the, 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 the character, we'll cultivate the character so that we can do what God has called us to do. Whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Now, zealous means you must have zeal. 
It's a word that is also associated with jealousy. That there will be something inside you that will be awakened. That will say, yes, now I want to repent. Now I want to stop doing that stuff. I should do this stuff. (laughs) Find some people. It never ceases to amaze me. You're counseling them and you're telling them stuff. And they're like, yeah, I I realize that, you know, what I'm doing is not right. And that, you know, uh, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that. But you know, yeah, you know, Pastor, I'll start taking yeah some steps to correct this thing. Zealously repent. Immediately at that point in time that you're told your sin, immediately at that point in time, you start saying, I'm shifting, I was going that way, I'm going this way. Ah, but you know, Pastor, you know, we've been in this relationship for like three years. I know, I know it's it's a sinful thing, but you know, I just can't, I just can't right now just go and tell that person that it's over. Mm-mm. Zealously repent. If it's a relationship that is sinful, you don't want to be in that relationship. It says, be zealous and repent. You know, too many of us are gradualists. Too many of us want to do things gradually. I will do it. We'll do it tomorrow. You know, it doesn't all happen in one day. Uh-uh. I don't know about you, man. I am not a gradualist. I want it now. I want it to happen now. I want it to happen now. Somebody said, what gradualism can take 20 years to do, zeal can do in one hour. And zeal is something that is good, by the way. Remember Jesus goes into that temple. There are all these people that are selling their stuff, making money off people in the house of God. And he goes and kicks things. You know, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus wasn't smiling. Do you think he was smiling when he was doing that, kicking things, throwing out money and kicking tables and stuff like that? Some people's Jesus is too nice. Mm-mm. Jesus said zeal. In fact, the Matthew says this was to fulfill that word, that says that zeal for my father's house has consumed me. Wow. I wish there were people of zeal. (laughs) I wish there were people of zeal in Kairos. That would say, I want to do the things of God. Please, give me something to do. Zealous people. He says, be zealous and repent. You know, each and every one of us right now knows the things in the areas that are not right before God. Knows places of deceptions in our lives. Here's what God is saying. You should zealously repent. You're going that way. You should turn the other way. And today, from now, stop doing that. Now, here's the thing. God is not saying, you're going this way. Stop going that way. Because you see, if you stop going that way, you just stop, isn't it? So you were moving forward, but you stop, right? No, he's not saying that. He's not saying stop. He's saying do the opposite thing. In other words, he's not saying uh, stop your sin. Mm-mm. Pursue me. Amen. See, if you stop your sin without pursuing him, you still somehow end up in your sin. See, all of us have our default settings. Hallelujah. You know you have your default setting, eh? When there's no money. When that person says that bad thing to you. When he finds you in your so-called bad mood. (laughs) 
the things that you say, the person will forget I'm a Christian. They will forget that I'm a Christian because I'm, I'm going to tell them something. They will know me. And it's you. Which one? Listen, it's about pursuing God. You can say, no, I've stopped drinking. I've stopped clubbing. I've stopped doing those things. And you just stop. No, you pursue God. Amen. Because you see, you still have Friday night. You still have Friday night. You still have that time. And that time will have to be filled with something. If you're not filling with the pursuit of God, you fill it with the pursuit of something. And so for some of us here, need to get serious to start saying, listen, I am coming back to the heart of worshiping you, Lord Jesus. Because here's the truth of the matter. There, were, there are people here who were so passionate for God. Where your passion was infectious. Where you drew people to you and you disciple people. Why? Because you had a passion. It's time to repent. It's time to come back to the heart of worship. It's time to come back to him. It's time to get back in that prayer closet. Oh, listen, if you're having a hard time, you know, I'm having a hard time praying. Listen, that's why we have all these times where we meet and we pray. This afternoon from 2 to 4 p.m., there's going to be intercessory prayer. Come. I mean, you know, Pastor, you know, I feel dry and I can't even read the Bible. And Jesus seems so far off. Come here. Come here. He's not a far off. You are the one who's a far off. Tell your neighbor, he's not far. You are the one who's far. Hmm. So watch what Jesus says, verse number 20. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and eat with him and he with me. Watch. Again, you evangelists. This passage is not for sinners. Hallelujah. <laughs> evangelists have been preaching this. Jesus is standing at your door and knocking. Right now, sinner. Receive him in your heart. Mm -mm. Jesus is talking to believers. Believers can shut Jesus out of their lives. That's dangerous, isn't it? How well, you know, once saved, I'm always saved. Ha! If it, the, the truthfulness of your being saved will be seen in your perseverance. He who perseveres until the end will be saved. What's that trying to say? It's trying to say that the true believer will still stand up until the end. Does the true believer have security in Jesus Christ? Yes. But it's a security that is proved in or by the perseverance up until the end. You've shut Jesus out. You have shut Jesus out. Jesus is not there anymore. He's not there. He's an outsider. It's your friends that are the ones that speak to you and tell you and advise you what you should do. It's the money, the, 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 the pursuit of things of this world. Those are the ones that are, are making you to direct your life. Yes, some of you will only go where the money is. If there's no money involved in that, you're not going to have any part of that. Please understand, Jesus is the one that is the source of everything that you have. There's nobody who can have anything in the world unless God created it, isn't it? 
No one. God wants us to pursue him and him alone. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking. He wants to come back into your life. He wants to come and have intimacy with you. Do you know? In the Eastern world or in the Jewish world, you just didn't invite anybody for dinner into your home. The ones that you, you, you invited for dinner into your home were the ones that were close to you. The ones that you wanted to be intimate with. Remember the Last Supper? We're actually told that they reclined at table. That's what one English translation says. So they were there, seated, and Jesus is speaking his heart out to these twelve. And guess what? That same picture of intimacy, Jesus wants to have with you. The greatest thing that can happen to you and me is intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. Not when we just come in a crowd like this. On Sunday morning. Where our connection with Jesus is, is disturbed by all these things. All these people around you. You know what I'm saying? Now am I saying this is not important? Very important. But there's even an, a more important place. Which is the place where you have personal intimacy with Jesus. Do you know? In a place like this, probably after we close the word of prayer and we're milling around, that, may, that will not be the best place that you may want to speak some deep things to a friend. Why? Because there are all these people. You'd be disturbed, isn't it? Someone will come, hey, listen, can you do this? Oh, hi, how are you doing? Hey, all sorts of things. People with their fake smiles, fake Sunday smile. Right? But... It requires that there should be a point where you and that person can get intimate or can share the things that, is, that are on your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, the root of your being money-minded is really because you don't have intimacy with me. Oh, some of us here would just spend time with God just worshiping. Some of us here would, would spend time in prayer. We'd spend time reading the word of God. And it would be meaningful to us. Oh, but now, we've gotten too busy for God. We've gotten too rich for God. We've gotten too important for God. The greatest thing we can ever do is this intimacy with Jesus. Says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and eat with him and he with me. See, there is a place of intimacy with Jesus. See, our coming together like this and worshiping together really is just supposed to be a stepping stone into a greater intimacy with him, personal intimacy. 
And here's the truth of the matter. When you have an intimacy with him and you come to church and we worship together, oh, you, 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 you feel a totally different anointing upon you. Some of us, I know, we say, you know, church is, is really dull. It's boring. It doesn't move me. Here's the thing I usually ask first. How is your intimacy with Jesus? Because you see, you can never replace your intimacy with Jesus with this corporate meeting that we have. You can never replace that. That is your foundation. And it starts with your obedience. Because if you're not going to obey him, then he's not going to come in into your house. Here's what Jesus says. Here's a reward to those that conquer. Look at verse number 21 there. Says the one who conquers, I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Who's the one that conquers? The one that opens to Jesus to come into his house. The one who seeks intimacy with him. The one who seeks to be to be like Jesus. Somebody said, or spoke of the beholding. And becoming principle. The beholding and becoming principle. What you behold is what you become. What you look at, what takes up your fascination is what you are going to become. If you look to Jesus, if you spend time with Jesus, if intimacy with him becomes a primary concern of yours, what you behold you shall become. So because Jesus is the one that has conquered, guess what? You also are going to conquer. And Jesus says here that I have conquered and I have have sat down at the right hand of God, a place of authority. He says, so too with you. Hallelujah. Listen, it is intimacy with Christ that births spiritual authority. Let me say that again. It is intimacy with Christ that births spiritual authority. Spiritual authority comes from intimacy with Christ. Intimacy with Christ is about sacrifice for Christ. Listen, I believe the language of God is a language of sacrifice. Because sacrifice proves that you are sold out for it. No sacrifice, no proof that you are sold out to it. And so, out of our sacrificial heart comes this intimacy. And this intimacy grants you to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. Where is Jesus right now? Right hand of the throne of God. So is Jesus talking about just the future when we get into the the kingdom of God, when he comes back again and establishes the kingdom of God and so that we shall reign with him? Yes, ultimately. But now too, now even now, there's an authority for you. Remember he told the Philadelphian church that he opens doors that no man can shut. And he shuts those that that no man can open. In other words, he has the authority. See, for some of you, you need to understand In fact, all of us, we need to understand that the key to open doors to get to the places of influence that God wants us to have in the earth so that we can can bring a godly influence in the world, it's going to take intimacy with him. What do we usually think? 
we think, okay, as long as I study more, as long as I get my qualification, as long as I work hard, as long as I do this, then, then I'm, I'm going to ascend to the top or I'm going to get to where I've always wanted to get. I'm here to tell you no. No, 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 no. As long as you're intimate with God, as long as, you, as you're intimate to God, you get to the place where you are meant to be. See, sometimes we get deceived. We think the things that we want are the things that God wants. It could be that's not what God wants for you. Could be that's not what God wants for you. But when you're deceived, you don't know any better. You start thinking, I'm rich. You start thinking, things are working out for me. You start thinking, this is the direction that I should take. No, intimacy with Christ is what is going to bring you to the place where you have clarity. And you know, this is the thing that God wants me to pursue. He who conquers, I grant to him. I grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says in the churches. That's a refrain you hear in every one of those letters. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying in the churches. But I thought it was Jesus who was writing. Yeah. Now it's the Spirit who is speaking. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Remember Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Remember, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to the Father, and it is to your advantage, so that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, can come. And so the one that we have is the Holy Spirit. And he's the one that tells us of Jesus. He's the one that reveals Jesus to us. And so in as much as Jesus is speaking, he's speaking through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You wouldn't want to be in a relationship where the other person is not reciprocating your love and your care. You'd cut that relationship. May you not do that to God. Thank you for listening to the Kairos Lolongwe podcast. I trust you've been blessed. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with friends on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and whatever social media you're on. May the Lord break you through into your kingdom destiny. Blessings.